0: Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast, is brought to you by Fan Mail, a bi-monthly subscription box by Lady Geeks for Lady Geeks. You can find more information about Fan Mail at MyFanMail.com. You can also use the promo code MAYDAY to get 10% off your first box right now. Also brought to you by Mine, a comics collection to benefit Planned Parenthood. Support Planned Parenthood with comics by Neil Gaiman, Gabby Rivera, Amber Benson, Gerard Way, Yona Harvey, Mara Wilson, Kelsey Herks, and more. Uh, You can go to the Kickstarter page. If you go to comicmix.com and scroll down, it'll be right there on the right-hand side. You'll see the link or go to their uh, Twitter page, at Comic Mix, and you can find it. There are 22 hours left as of right now uh, to contribute to their page. They did meet their goal, so it will be coming out, but there's lots of stretch goals and cool things you can get if you contribute, so go check that out. And also brought to you by Nina Diaz, a fantastic singer, songwriter, lead singer of the band Girl in a Coma. She is touring right now with her band, uh, touring on her solo album called The Beat is Dead. You can find information about her at NinaDiazMusic.com and follow her on Twitter at at NinaDiazMusic. So check her out, uh, fantastic voice, fantastic artist. Once again, NinaDiazMusic.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Justin from Mayday, The Handmaid's Tale podcast. Uh, This is going to be part two of our Warren Littlefield interview, 20 Minutes with Warren. This is our second edition. Uh, Part three will be released next. Uh, When we left off last time, Warren was talking about the Trump election and the effect that it had had on the production. So let's pick that right back up where we left off. Enjoy. The timeliness of it. It was really almost kind of eerie. I mean, I, yeah. for myself, you, you know, you read the book shortly before production began. I read the book back in October of last year. Um, uh-huh. I was kind of a, just read it off of a friend's recommendation. And, I, you know, in the book, it's very different. It's, you know, stream of consciousness. Though it's all in her head, uh, which obviously can't do really well on a TV show. But you get to the part where in the book, it's more trying to figure out how it happened and why it happened. And you get to the part where they talk about they machine gun to Congress and the Supreme Court and the presidency, and then blamed it on Islamic terrorism. And I was in my car and I was like, "Wow, this book yeah. needs to get out of my head right now." Yeah. And I texted my friend and I was like this is crazy because it was astonishing to me that a book written in 19, probably written before 1985.
1: She wrote it in Berlin in 1984 on a rented typewriter.
0: (laughs) It was just astonishing to me how it could have been written yesterday and come out and just be just as relevant.
1: You're, you're absolutely right. Um, uh, As we, we've often said, uh, any time in the last 33 years would, Would have been a good time to adapt this, and it's been adapted as a play, as a, as an opera. Uh, In 1990, MGM made a movie, um, which not many people saw, and and wasn't very good. Um, But um, it, it was always such a powerful vision of of what a world that could possibly be. And you know, Margaret created Gilead using all historical precedent. So everything that she wrote, everything that she dreamed up, has has its roots somewhere in history.
0: And so t- talk to me about your first reading of this book. So did you have the same... I mean, I assume that you had the same feeling. Obviously, you got that, and you were like, okay, I really have to do this project. So, but, but walk me through your first reading of the book, and what were your expectations going in after reading Bruce's script versus what you found in the book?
1: Well, um... Bruce's script, uh, I found, was just such a, uh, a singular point of view that the, I think it's very, very difficult um, to create an alternative world and, and believe in that world um, and experience it in a way that feels good. Grounded and emotional, so that it really affects you. And and I thought what Bruce did is, it's so as Margaret did also, but Bruce with voiceover and with every step um, that Alfred takes, we are there with her. We're so a part of her, and 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 so we tried to execute. A world where within the frame, it always reflected her point of view, um, and and that each and every one of those frames that were constructed, um, they did feel real, um, and and so I think the payoff is that um, you feel completely immersed in this um, in this experience, uh, and and I so I I felt that as big an idea as it is that bruce kept it incredibly intimate um and i thought that that was a, a brilliant conceptualization of margaret's book um because they are a different form uh, as as you said um we're going from um reading a novel to watching a television show um and and that's no easy task uh, But Bruce understood it. His instincts were so strong and so good. And when in doubt, he goes directly to Margaret's words. So words that come out of um, Elizabeth Moss's mouth, um, very oftentimes, um, those are words that you can find right there in the novel. Um, Anyway, as I said, I thought Bruce... Um, completely, completely created a world, um, uh, a slavery and a journey that, um, that I thought was um, unbelievably compelling. And then I sat down and read Margaret's book, and I, I made a big, big cup of tea, and sat down on my the couch in my den. And I got up a couple times to go to the bathroom, but I read it straight through um, because I couldn't put it down. Um, And it was well into the night, Um, but it was that riveting and dramatic for me. Um, And then I tried to go to sleep. Um, And uh, the next morning when I got up, I reread Bruce's scripts Um, and, again, had even a deeper appreciation for what he had created. Um, And that was it. I called my agents at WME and said, um, all right. Um, if I don't care what I have to do, I'll sell my soul to the devil. Um, I want in. How can how can I have an opportunity to do this?
0: That's uh, fantastic. And so, briefly, let's talk about Bruce Miller's part in this because I had read something very early on when I was doing some research a while back about uh, when Hulu was trying to put it together and MGM were trying to put the you know the staffing together and find a writer. They were intent, probably you know with good reason in mind, to try and find a female writer for this show. Uh, given yeah. the subject matter and the voice and that they, it just couldn't happen for whatever reason. And Bruce Miller kept, you know, saying I can do this. I want to do this. I've been wanting to do this for a long time. And they were like, we can't do it. There's we can't have a man write this show. And finally, they relented to great acclaim and success. Um, obviously, 13 Emmy nominations with the Emmys coming up this weekend Um so, talk to me about that process and what you know of that process of them finally relenting to Bruce and this vision that he's created, and how it really is one of those almost happy accidents that kind of happens sometimes. Yeah,
1: well, you know, it's a, it's a
0: wonderful testament to um, stick to itiveness,
1: right? Sure. Um, uh, Bruce first read Margaret's book in a uh, creative writing class at uh, Brown, um, and he was profoundly affected by it um, and and in the 33 years since it had been published, um, and that was when it had first come out. Um, uh, he had gone back to the book a number of times. and in fact, um, a few times he inquired about uh, about the rights to it, um, but wasn't able to get anywhere. Um, originally, um, MGM and Eileen Chakin, uh, and Eileen is a, the showrunner for Empire. Um, they went out and acquired the rights uh, uh, from Margaret for the book, um, and that was developed at, as a script at Showtime, and um, and and Showtime ultimately passed. Um, they were intrigued, but they passed. And um, MGM was looking for a new home. And Hulu said, "Look, we're we, with all due respect, we we know Eileen is now doing Empire, and and we're not sure that Eileen found exactly the voice of this show. And so we would develop it. We would um, we would find a new writer, develop it, and we do think that The Handmaid's Tale could be a strong and important piece of development for us at Hulu." And they met with a lot of women. Um, they met with some men. They really did first and foremost want a woman. And then Bruce kept knocking on the door saying, Just give me a shot, give me a meeting and and they were knocked out. And MGM and Hulu took um a, a name that was not a sexy name in Bruce Miller. Um and they said this writer has such a connection to this material and we really, really embrace his interpretation of it. And so, um, yeah, there might be bigger names out there. We met with them. Um, but we think that Bruce Miller understands what to do with this property. And I think that should be celebrated. That's a bold move. You know, I, I sat in those chairs where I made those judgments for a long time, and um, they they made the right call, and they gave Bruce the opportunity, and and he absolutely delivered. And so it's a it's quite a journey of of how did this come to life um, uh, as we enter the Emmy weekend, and and and. To have those nominations for Bruce to get the writing nomination for the show to be nominated for best drama it, it, it's it 's a remarkable, remarkable journey, but it took a lot of people in power to say, "We embrace that we 're going to take this risk. we embrace it and uh, that 's a great story.
0: I hear a lot of risks being taken in this show. Did you notice that as you know with all your executive experience and president of NBC? Did you see more risk taking be taken here than on your average show?
1: Yeah, um, and look, we we used to have a, a mantra back in my NBC days of the things that scared us the most had the biggest upside, and there's a reason for Hulu and MGM to have had a lot of fear. Um, we because we we didn't go to the usual suspects um but once we looked at once we started looking at the footage when we saw that the relationship that the camera had to Elizabeth Moss's face that that with her just walking across Alfred's bedroom that there was an entire journey there with no other action than her moving across the room. And across her face, we felt there was an entire narrative that was being expressed. And um, that's when we looked at that footage, we said, oh, we have a show. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's it's the road not taken. Um, it's about embracing risk. It's about embracing the Reed Morano's. And the Bruce Millers of the world, and um, and hopefully, you know that as we as we approach Emmy weekend, um, they continue to reward us as we've already been rewarded for our excellence. Um, the television critics picked us as program of the year and best drama, and uh, that's a pretty wonderful uh, blessing to go into this. And uh, we'll see. The competition is insane. The quality of great dramatic choices has never been better in television. Um, it's a platinum age. Um, and, you know, look, when I was out there with Fargo year one, there was good competition, but not the level of competition that there is today. Um, well, there's over 450 scripted television shows um and uh and a lot of it is so outstanding but the emmy means more today than ever before i think a an emmy win says to audiences i need to make time in my life for this this is an emmy award winning show um uh, I, I there's so much television to consume but wow i have to make an appointment to see this um because it's that seal of approval
0: so at what point When you were in this production, as you were saying, you started seeing the footage and just realizing that this show was something different and different than you'd been involved with before. At what point did you realize this is truly special and exceptional?
1: Well, we had high hopes um, as we started shooting with Reed. Um, But um, you really don't want to get too far into the wishing and hoping side of your life until you actually see a cut. And it was the first cut um, when, uh, when Reed shared with us um, her vision. Um, and when we looked at that first cut, um, we just went, wow. Um, Elizabeth Moss is spectacular in this role. Yvonne um, Straharsky is amazing as Serena Joy, Joe Fine, Commander Waterford, Max Minghella, um, Alexis Bledel, Madeline Brewer, Samira Wiley, and out, O.T. Fagbenelli, um, and little Jordana Blake. I mean, we felt that on so many levels, we had such strength in bringing this to life. And... Uh, and that Reed found it. You know, that Reed found this very it's this impressionistic style of shooting that is not so literal and traditional, but the audience is very smart, They're very, very sophisticated now. And so the way that we approach this production, the way it was shot, the way we edited it and present it, it says to the audience, "We know you can follow this journey. We know you get it, um, and come along for this ride." And um, and so a lot of things aren't spelled out; they're felt, um, and uh, and and that seems to have worked for us.
0: And It seems to have worked for specifically Alexis Bledel, who uh-huh. her turn as Avglin was, I mean, for the minimal screen time that she had was absolutely astounding like, I had mm. not I was not aware of a lot of her dramatic work I know she did some work in mad men um I'd say the vast majority of people know her from her work in Gilmore girls obviously right and so seeing this transformation from her and this performance which for almost an entire episode is done with only facial expressions in her eyes was yeah. just absolutely blew me away and I think that Obviously, her winning this guest actress award, uh, only solidifies that. And so, tell me what it was like when you you got those, you got that cut, and you're watching the, especially that final scene of episode three. Um, oh, my God, yeah. that is just gut wrenching, and that entire well, performance.
1: Alexis is so brave. You know, um, in person, she's quiet. She's very sweet. She's very gentle, and and she wanted to do this role that was that was a brave decision to say i'm going to take this on i'm going to do that and and so as you're watching her work it's quiet and subtle and brave and then when you cut it together it just is strong and and um and the camera just finds her and finds all this nuance and subtlety in her face and in her expressions, and um, and and you're completely with her, um, and it's an astonishing performance. Um, and and I, you know, we were we we're thrilled that she that she said without fear, I want to I want to play off glen and uh, and then we said after. Our your one experience, well, you know, um, we'd like you to stick around. And <laughs> she said, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so that's been, that's been thrilling for us. Um, I, we shouldn't be surprised, but man, she just reveals this incredible strength.
0: The rest of the actors, as you were saying, you know, Yvonne Strahovski, Max Mangela. um, the entire cast and Dowd. Uh, you have two nominees here for best supporting actress in yeah. Mira Wiley and and Dowd. Now I know just from if we're doing a handicapping type thing, uh, it might not be the ideal situation for maybe they're going to split the vote kind of a situation
1: yeah that that could happen um you know we we found ourselves with uh with fargo last weekend um where we had three editing nominations and uh and we didn't win and i think we split the vote but I'm um, i'm i'm thrilled for samira um we 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 really really thought she gave us an outstanding audition and we were excited for her to be a part of our our cast and and she delivered um she more than delivered you know our expectation and that was high and in doubt I, I mean from leftovers from from a rich career that Anne has had she just she was Aunt Lydia from and and um we shot um we 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 shot very early on her her big scene um uh where um, where the the women um attacked the rapist in hour one that was like day two wow. of and and so here we are in this massive park like setting and she's up on stage and that's it it's the world of Gilead there are Eighty handmaids, um, and um, and then that rapist is presented, and Anne Dowd is just has everyone in the palm of her hand. Um, so commanding, and um, and uh, so you know we would joke and say we're a little bit afraid of you. <laughs> and she's like the nicest human being on, on the planet. I mean, a great day is when you get to spend time with Anne Dowd the person um, but she brings such strength um, and caring um, to Aunt Lydia you know Aunt Lydia loves her girls her handmaids so she's not just this cruel um, uh, beast uh, antagonist she loves them and feels she knows what's best for them and that just makes for a really rich antagonistic character um, in our world.
0: That wraps up part two of our three-part interview with Warren Littlefield, executive producer for The Handmaid's Tale. Don't forget you can check out our radio station, Handmaid's Resistance Radio, on slacker.com or with the Slacker app you can get for free at any app store. Once again, that is the Handmaid's Resistance Radio. Uh, It features all the music that was featured in the TV show, as well as just songs of resistance, inspiration, and rebellion. Awesome, cool music that I think you're really going to dig, so check that out. It's Handmaid's Resistance Radio on Slacker Radio.